You are listening to Gaining Christ Audio, a ministry designed to teach the absolute truth of God from the Bible to encourage you in your knowledge of God, as well as your confidence, satisfaction, and faithfulness in Him, or so that you would hear the true gospel, have your heart opened by God, and receive eternal life if you have not already. Welcome and thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we will begin an episode series on the grace of God, where we will answer specifically today this simple yet profound question. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is beautiful, deep, intense, profound, spectacular. It is amazing. God's grace is amazing. It is mysterious, but not as mysterious as some claim. It is super encouraging to some, controversial to others. It is rich and astounding. It is loved and appreciated by many. It is, unfortunately, rejected and denied by others. But according to the Bible, it is crucial that you and I understand the grace of God, the doctrine of God's grace. Unfortunately, not many people do understand the truth and the detail and the complexity and the beauty of God's grace. And I was such a person, literally 25, 26, seven years ago and moving back, I was clueless on the grace of God. Certainly, I used the word. I read the Bible. I did not know it very well. I was even involved in ministry. Uh, This word is common in the Bible. We use it. But I did not know the grace of God and, and how elaborate and comprehensive the grace of God actually is until God in his grace opened my mind and my heart and began to show me and reason with me and prove uh, the grace of God in my mind and in my heart, and he overwhelmed me. And praise the Lord. And this subject of God's grace is something that we will never gain a full mastery of, in our minds at least, at this side of eternity. In glory, we will know and understand it fully. But it is understandable, and it is something that we can grow in. As Peter, in conclusion of his second letter in chapter 3, writes, grow in the grace and the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is crucial that we understand. And when we do understand and continue to grow in the understanding of grace, the results upon a person and their life are phenomenal. It is humbling. It is freeing. Knowing God's grace, it is gratifying, motivating, and even life-changing. 
So our question today is, what is grace? Well, certainly these are deep waters, the subject of God's grace. And and we will do our best to answer our question today and furthermore describe and unpack the beautiful detail of God's grace clearly to truly honor God and the subject and hopefully best help and encourage you, the listener. And with that in mind, I want to say this very quickly. If if you, for some reason, happen to be listening to this message on the grace of God for the second time and you listen to it soon after we published it a few days ago and you're thinking, this is not the same message that I listened to, well, that's because you're right. It's not the same message. We decided that it would be better instead of having one comprehensive message that covered as much as we could about the doctrine of grace in one podcast, we decided it would be better for the subject and for the listener if we eliminated that podcast and offered or provided this subject, the grace of God, in a part one, part two, maybe part three, even four series. This was encouraged by my good friend from Australia. He would say my good mate, Brad who said, yeah, it would be better if you did that. And then my friend Mike, who works in our ministry, and quite frankly is the reason this podcast exists from his technical know-how, and he adds the music on the front and the back. We really appreciate him and his encouragement, and he agreed, and and then others uh, in our ministry. And I was convinced myself that we need to do this. And before we dig in, we we do want to take this time now and and thank you, the listener, for your involvement in our ministry and and giving your important time to listen to a 20, 30, even 40-minute sometimes podcast. Uh, Your time is valuable. You work hard. You have things to do. And for you to invest in listening to this ministry, we appreciate it. We hope it is encouraging to you and worthwhile. That's the intention. So let's get after it. What is the grace of God? Before answering that question, I want to read some verses from the Bible. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 4, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He writes, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, after describing the dreadful state of a person before they are saved, spiritually dead, a slave of sin, controlled by their flesh and the world, even the devil, their nature is contrary to God's will. Then he adds, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And then in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, he continues, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And then Paul writing to Titus, Paul is not the only biblical author on the subject of grace. It's all over the Bible. But in writing to his friend Titus, where in chapter 3, verse 3, he describes his 
dreadful spiritual condition and the behavior in and through his heart and how he could not save himself, basically. In verse 4, God our Savior saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by God's grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And before Paul or Peter or John or James or anyone was writing the New Testament scripture, Jesus was in ministry teaching what was later written. And in John 10, for example, Jesus teaches on grace, saying, I give my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. And in John 6, he summarizes all that come to me will be saved and have eternity in the kingdom. So what is grace? This word that is used often in our language and in our ministries. I have a friend named Grace. Well, the word grace in the Hebrew Old Testament is chesed, which means loving kindness, the loving kindness of God. In the New Testament, which is written in Greek, the word for grace is charis, the giving of God's favor. Charis in Greek is where we get the English word for charity. Now, there is common grace of God and there's saving grace. These must be identified because they're not exactly the same. We are in this podcast, and when you speak about the grace of God, speaking predominantly about the saving grace of God. But there is common grace that is not necessarily part of the salvational process. For example, God in his grace created biological life in human beings, and we have life. God in his grace gave us food and water and oxygen to breathe, and the system within us to utilize those elements for life. He gives us work to do and uh, the opportunity to make a living. We have natural gifts and things. Even Jesus gave a lot of common grace. He would uh, he would turn a couple of fish and a loaf of bread into a food to feed 5,000 people who were hungry, supernatural grace and favor to feed them. He would heal a blind person, give them vision again, or a paralytic. He even healed 10 lepers at one time. But this is not necessarily saving grace. Just because Jesus gave a blind man vision doesn't mean that that vision-giving grace was then salvational grace. It could be, and in many instances, it was included, but not necessarily. When we're speaking of God's grace, we are speaking about eternal life grace, the grace that saves, the grace that is provided, offers, accomplishes, and gives eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. This grace. You may have heard the word grace defined as unmerited favor. That is a very good definition. Certainly, the grace of God, the loving kindness of God, is favor from God, not merited by the recipient. We cannot earn God's grace. Contrary to what a lot of people think and teach, 
That's faulty. You cannot earn God's grace. His grace is not deserved. It is a gift. It's unmerited by the recipient. However, technically speaking, God's grace is merited, but not by the recipient, of course, by God himself, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the merit of our salvation. He is our grace and the cause of what we receive by his merit in God's grace. And then also it's important to know that grace sometimes is defined as receiving something that you do not deserve, especially something magnificent, such as eternal life in the kingdom of heaven and the riches of God. We don't deserve that. We can't earn that. It's given. But grace also includes a word called mercy, which using that definition of grace, receiving that which we do not deserve, mercy is not receiving that which we do deserve. In the case of God's grace, mercy is included because we do not receive what we do deserve. What we do deserve is God's penalty and judgment for our sin and rebellion against a holy God. And God gives us this forgiveness because God himself and his loving grace and mercy paid for the sin himself with his own son's blood. So grace includes these simpler definitions of grace and mercy together. We would define the grace of God or grace this way. It is the exceedingly merciful and generous loving kindness of God given to an undeserving recipient. Given by God, of course. Please know that God gives grace. I can't give you this grace. I, I could do things that are gracious perhaps in your life or or someone could preach a message that proves to yield grace in one's life. Uh, but this grace we're talking about, saving grace to eternal life, a person can't give direct to you. Only God can. He uses people. People pray to objects and things and idols and religious professionals begging them for grace. If that's the case for you, you're going to the wrong place. Only God can give grace and his grace is given in this instance it's saving grace for eternal life so what are the characteristics of god's grace if grace is chesed and charis the exceedingly generous and merciful loving kindness of god given to a person how does the grace of God behave? What are its characteristics? Well, here's some important points that we certainly should understand as we dig deeper into the subject. Number one, God's grace is proactive. God's grace is not waiting for people to respond to it. It is proactive. When we understand our spiritual condition, Prior to grace overwhelming us, we can understand more about the proactivity of God's grace. David was such a person, and David writes in Psalm 23, verse 6, that very famous psalm, surely God's goodness, tov, and loving kindness, chesed, will pursue after me 
all the days of my life. Radaf is a Hebrew word there for the verb pursue after. It's translated a lot of times in Bible as follow, which in English we think of like a dog following behind a person or a little child following their dad or mom, for example. God's grace does not follow us. It pursues after us. Radaf in Hebrew means to chase after. It's a military term. David understood this because he knew the Lord, that God's loving kindness pursues after him and will continue to pursue after him all the days of his life. God's grace is proactive. Point number two that we should understand is God's grace is personal. God gives his grace to individuals specifically. Yes, you could have a group of individuals who all have received at various times and have received the saving grace, the favor of God, or included maybe people who will later receive his grace. But the grace is given specifically to people, not, for example, to a church institution where the church has the grace. And if you come to the church or become a member or comply with their religious regulations or activities, you then become a recipient of the grace, but the church is the provider. It does not work that way. Or, as some people think, the grace is given to the family. So if the father and or mother have the grace of God, then everyone throughout the family, all the children have the grace too. It's a family, covenantal grace. Well, not exactly. It may, you may have a family where every person has received grace, no doubt, but the grace was given to each member individually as God had directed, which brings us to the third important characteristic that must be noted about God's grace is that God's grace is sovereign. It is God's right to give his loving kindness however he chooses to give it. Contrary to what a lot of people think or presume, God is not obligated to give his loving kindness, his favor to anyone. The only thing that obligates God to give his grace to anyone is that God previously promised to give his grace to someone, and God cannot lie, as the Bible says. Titus chapter 1, verse 2, for example. But God is not obligated to give it to anyone. God gives his grace how and when and why he gives it according to his own will. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, which is a deep dive into the subject of God's grace. Chapter 9, 8, 2. Paul writes in verse 15, as God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You see, God says himself, I give my mercy and compassion and favor to whomever I will to give it. Paul then adds, so then it depends not on human will or exertion. It's not our efforts or our will or desires, but on God who has mercy. Again, the grace of God strikes first on a person. It's proactive. And then people respond. More on that in our next podcast. Even Jesus says 
and John chapter 5, verse 21, God gives, excuse me, the Son gives life to whomever he is pleased to give it. Jesus has been given, granted by the Father, the right to give eternal life to whomever he is pleased to give it. And he does that. The full package of grace that yields a person to receive and have eternal life. Also, we must understand that God's grace is perfect. It is perfect in power and perfect in results. The power is supernatural. The results are 100% perfect. God's grace does not fail in its effort and purpose for which it was sent. It's 100% successful. When God gives his loving kindness to an individual, God is 100% successful in his grace accomplishing that work. God says that about himself in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. I will accomplish all that I have planned. Whatever I've purposed, that's what I will bring about. Proverbs 19, 21, the Lord's purpose is what prevails. Some people think that God's grace, as powerful as it is, if they even understand that, is resistible by the recipient. It is not resistible. The grace of God cannot be resisted. It is impossible for a person to reject the grace of God when God is proactively yielding his loving kindness on a person, as we will see. That would be like saying Lazarus, Jesus' friend in John 11, who died, and was buried, and was already four days in the tomb, had the ability to reject Jesus's command for him to come out. (laughs) When Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, did Lazarus have any capability to resist that grace of Christ upon him to call him back into life? Well, no. Just like if you hit your head and fell off a boat into the ocean, and you drown and sank to the bottom, you could not resist the power of the Coast Guard scuba diver grabbing you and bringing you up to his boat to resuscitate you. God's grace is is not resistible. It will accomplish all that God intends for it to do. It's his sovereign grace, and his grace is perfect. Also, his grace is comprehensive. It completely overwhelms. It saturates a person. God's grace is not kind of half the power that yields a person into salvation. Some think, unfortunately, that God's grace is just mere assistance in helping a person maybe to see his persistence to preach the gospel to him only. But God, God does not cause a person to believe Well, the Bible says differently. God's grace is complete. The grace of God necessarily and effectually permeates or saturates every layer of our salvation and causes our salvation. I know this is very difficult for people to believe because they think, no, wait a minute. 
I was involved in the process, my emotions, my desires, my will. Well, that is true. We're not robots, but God's grace is causing people to think and understand and feel and believe and want things contrary to what they did prior to his grace moving in on them. More in our next podcast. It, 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 it's not our works that yield our salvation. It is not our religiosity, our good works, our church activities, sacraments even, that cause a person to have eternal life. It is the gift of God, nor is it our work or our will, our good wills to decide and allow God to give us grace or to to allow ourselves to decide to receive the grace. Yes, God does work on the human will, but it's all God's grace that causes that to happen, as we will see. There's no step, layer, region, smidgen of a person's eternal life that they have from beginning to end that is not saturated, triggered, caused by the grace of God truly. And the final characteristic we'll bring out today is God's grace is eternal. This is shocking to some, but it is true. What we're saying here is that God had planned the grace and the details of eternal life in eternity past when the only entity available at this time is God himself. This is true. The Bible confirms this, not everywhere, but in places. As Paul writes to his friend Titus in chapter 1, verse 2, the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before time began. God in Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, specifically at least the Father and the Son, promised eternal life to be given to recipients such as us who receive, and all the details of it were were promised and planned by God as well. For example, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a Jewish prophet, served in approximately 600 BC, called by God to speak to the people on behalf of God. And in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, as Jeremiah is concerned about his capability to be a prophet, I I think due to his young age, God says, don't worry, I've got you covered. And he says this in verse 5 of chapter 1, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I had already set you apart for myself and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. This was determined, sealed, and done in eternity past. Where was Jeremiah's will in in this operation? Now, some assert that when God says that he knew Jeremiah, that he foreknew Jeremiah, that means that God had the foresight to see that Jeremiah would respond to the gospel, come to God, in faith, 
the Messiah specifically. And as a result, God then says, I will choose that one who I can see in my prophetical ability to believe. I'll choose him for myself and I'll make him a prophet. That's not how it works. More detail later, but foreknowledge, God's knowing of Jeremiah was not foresight. Foreknowledge and foresight are not the same word. There is a word in the New Testament for foresight, pro orao, which is described by Peter in Acts chapter 2 that David was able to foresee the coming Messiah and his resurrection from the dead. Or Paul writes in Galatians that the scriptures foresaw that God would also justify the Gentiles by grace, pro orao. But pro-gnosko, foreknowledge, is not foresight because gnosko, to know, is intimate. Jesus says, I know my father, my father knows me, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. The word to know, gnosko, is used to describe the sexual union between a husband and a wife in a physical sense. When used with God and people or God himself, it's a spiritual sense. To beforehand know someone, which only God can do, is not knowing information about It's that God was saying to Jeremiah, as Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28, God knew and had his favor already assigned to, and in his heart had Jeremiah wanting to give him grace before Jeremiah existed. This is the truth, which we will unpack in more detail. Before time, God had sovereignly applied his loving kindness to Jeremiah long before time existed and Jeremiah existed. This is the eternal nature and characteristic of God's grace. It is proactive and personal. It is sovereign. It is perfect, comprehensive, and eternal. Praise the Lord. Again, I know this is shocking. We hope that you will listen to our next podcast. We will unpack the detail using the Bible. It is beautiful. It is it is so outstanding and rich when it's understood. Praise the Lord. So the question is, what is the role of God's grace in a person's salvation? Well, this is what we will discuss in our next podcast, part two. Until then, we hope that this message is informative, encouraging, and helpful to you or a source that you can refer to that yields you encouragement in various ways. We do, again, appreciate you taking the time to listen. Have a great week, and please spread the word of God.